This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Mother's Day is coming, and if you don't get mom the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. So go with drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Hey everyone, welcome. A new episode of the New Evangelicals podcast coming your way. Okay, I, I'm, I'm making this intro 30 seconds after I just did this interview with Dr. Nathan Cartagena. Um, friends, maybe, honestly, no bullshit, maybe my, my favorite interview I've ever done to date. Um, it's so good. Uh, Dr. Nathan, he is a, he's a gift. He is well-spoken. He's articulate. Um, His insight is so needed, especially if you're someone who's a white evangelical thinking through decolonization, realizing how white supremacy dominates our our culture. And you're like, okay, what do I do? And like, how do I understand it? This is the podcast episode for you. Um, Nathan is just, wow. I I don't have many words, honestly. he, He even... In a way, and you understand what I mean when you hear the interview, but he really ministered to me even personally in this interview. I, I had to bust out the tissues. I was pretty close to doing that. So it, it was a powerful interview. So I, re- I really hope that you enjoy it. Um, and as always, you know, thank you for sharing and and, and liking the, the show. And if you can continue to do that, that would be great. Sharing the show helps us get the word out uh, about the work we're doing. Um, and if you want to donate to support the show, that would be great. This takes a lot of work, a lot of effort to do. And any amount helps us. It helps cover our time and our overhead and our expenses. This is what I do full time. So um, my livelihood is dependent uh, upon that kind of work. So, all right, friends, listen, I'm going to keep it short and sweet because this interview speaks for itself. I hope you enjoy it. I I certainly did. And I will talk to you all soon. Well, I, I, like I said, two seconds ago, this is your... You are one of the top people on my list uh, to interview. So, Dr. Nathan Cartagena, thank you for coming on. It is truly a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Gracias, hermano, Tim. It's good to be with you. It's a joy to to get to talk with you this morning. I mean, goodness, two people that actually know some things about New Jersey chatting, (laughs) we could get into trouble. I know. I know. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, they hear I'm from New Jersey. Of course, they all think Jersey Shore. It's like, guys, it's not like that. Jersey is beautiful. There's so many great places. I grew up... 
up, you know, I grew up by by Great Adventure, which, which you you would know oh, that yeah. landmark, okay? Oh yeah. I grew up five minutes from Great Adventure in a small town called New Egypt, farmland, pretty much. Okay. Where yes. you grew up more more central Jersey, you said? Yeah. So I I grew up uh, close to New Brunswick, so very close to Rutgers University's main campus area, uh, in a in a place called Somerset, New Jersey. It was in the township uh, known as Franklin Township. This is how you know you're in New Jersey. You got cities and townships yeah. and all sorts of things, right? <laughs> yeah, so true. People don't talk that way in Illinois, no, where I currently no, am. No, no, no. Uh, but but before we proceed, I do want to give a shout out. I am now coming from the ancestral lands of the Ojibwe, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi. Uh, so a, a far cry from 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 New Jersey. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. I'm on the land of the Lenape, the Lenape people. Yes. So that's that's where I'm coming from. And I, I did an interview with Mark Charles a couple months ago. Mm. Uh, I read his book um, with uh, Sung Cha Ra, I think his name is. Yeah. Unsettling uh, Truths. Oh, man. Just another, yeah. another gut check. All, all these books I'm reading, I'm just getting punched in the gut in the best way. So yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Before we get rolling into all the meat and, and, and bones and, and potatoes and stuff, why don't we kind of. Uh, Let's back up. Why don't you kind of give the audience some of your journey? Who are you? You know, um, are, you're a Jersey native, et cetera. What, what got you into the field of study that you're in? Give us that backstory. Sure. So uh, the backstory involves talking about people and places, people and places. So my mom's side of the family, they're what in Spanish we'd call Anglos. Uh, so they're all from England, Ireland, uh, ended up settling in what we now think of as the U.S. South in places like South Carolina, uh, North Florida, Georgia, the hills of Tennessee. So I do have some very proud hillbillies on my mom's side of the family. Okay. Uh, and uh, though, though that's where they settled, uh, my mom's parents moved from the South to Colorado, ended up settling in Colorado Springs, and that's where they had my mom. And that was to uh, escape some pretty heinous family abuse uh, on my on my mamma's side uh, of the family. Her father was a, a, a pretty notorious uh, physical abuser. Uh, but then my dad's side of the family, they're from uh, Boricuan or Puerto Rico. And um, it ends up that my my great-grandfathers, uh, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, so my bisabuelo, my bisabuela, uh, for my grandfather, my abuelo, uh, they died when, when he was young. So my abuelo, his name's Jorge. And in an effort to ensure that he didn't slip into generational poverty, my mm. abuelo decides to join after he marries my well, they they together decide to join uh, the Air Force. Uh, it's one of the few options you have when you're coming from Puerto Rico. Um, the Puerto Rico is still a U.S. colony, and, and so it's it's under serious colonial uh, constraints. And many people who uh, live there will decide to join the military as a way to try to establish some generational wealth and, and be mm. able to have more connections to what they'll call the mainland, so what you might think of as the contiguous United States. Uh, so my my dad is born to a military family, and he travels all over, but he decides he's going to go to the Air Force Academy. Uh, he gets in, and that's where he and my mom meet, because my mom was born and raised in Colorado Springs. The Air mm. Force Academy is in Colorado Springs, so that they meet. Uh, and my dad does active duty for six years before he goes into the reserves. And uh, he ends up being stationed in Charleston, South Carolina, which mm. is actually where I was born. Mm. Uh, so my, my mamma was quite pleased that I was born in the South, that I was born in her home state. Yeah. Uh, she she grew up in, in Sumter, South Carolina. Uh, and then after that, we went to Philly uh, for a year, and then we moved to New Jersey, where I spent most of my childhood. Mm. Uh, so I, I think quite fondly of, of New Jersey. I had uh, a lot of good experiences in New Jersey, certainly some some heinous ones, no mm. doubt about it. But mm. um, I don't think I'd appreciated just how extremely diverse my educational experience was in New Jersey. I went to a public school. Uh, and so we had people from all sorts of classes, all sorts of racialization, 
uh, backgrounds, immigrant, non-immigrant. I mean, you get the whole spectrum there. Really I didn't do. realize yeah. that until I went to uh, undergrad at Grove City College, mm. uh, which is a historically white Christian institution out in Western Pennsylvania. And I vividly remember my very first day on the freshman hall. I'm uh, roomed with an Asian brother, Korean brother, and across the hall is a Mexicano and another Korean brother. And then everybody else racialized white. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, there was a bit of an experience of mm. being in a kind of zoo exhibit mm. because it's like, okay, well, we'll have the only non-white folks rooming together and we'll have them across the hall so that you, you, you feel some level of solidarity. So, you know, so much for certain ideas about colorblindness that, that they were tuned to wanting to have uh, us close to one another so we could talk. Uh, but the, out, out in West Pennsylvania, there is just nothing like uh, the diversity that, that I had in New, in New Jersey. Um, yeah. There's also, though, far more attention to indigenous experiences than I than I had in, in New Jersey. Um, part of that's because of the Carlisle, Carlisle School, where you had you know boarding uh, boarding school for, for indigenous people. And that was all sorts of heinous. But they're actually... Um, still indigenous tribes there that um, have some level of it's, it's a small level, but some level of, of autonomy. And that was that was a, a pretty new experience to me because there just wasn't much discussion about the indigenous where I was uh, in New Jersey. And so, like, I didn't even know that the state Delaware, for example, growing up, I had no idea there was an indigenous name. I didn't know about the Delaware people, all sorts of things yeah, like that. Yeah. Just to give an example. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, uh, at this point, I'm uh, I'm married uh, and, and my wife and I, we decide um we're going to give philosophy a try, graduate school in philosophy. And uh, I take a year off and do construction and maintenance for a uh, apartment complex yeah. co company down in, in, in Western Pennsylvania. Then we go from there to Texas A&M, two years at Texas A&M. And then we go from there to Baylor University. We spent five years at, at Baylor. That's also where we had Miha, my daughter. Uh, and then we go from, from Baylor to Wheaton College uh, in, in Wheaton, Illinois. So that's been some of the trajectory. Mm. Uh, one of the things I'd note is that both sides of my family are deeply committed Christians, especially my mama and my mom's side, and then both my my uh, my will and my will on my dad's side. Uh, so I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up um, inheriting generations of Christian practice and 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 reflection. Uh, I attended a conservative Baptist church when I was young. And my parents, uh, they're not committed Baptist, but they, they were looking for a, a congregation that would preach from the Bible and would actually try to have us care about the word of God. And sure. it's not easy to find such congregations in New Jersey. So we settled on a conservative Baptist congregation. But my parents, uh, to their credit, and this is something I'm coming to appreciate more and more, they gave my, my, my siblings and I a lot of freedom. So mm -hmm. I'm the oldest of two, mm -hmm. uh, one brother, one sister. Uh, and, and they more or less said, as long as you endorse these core components of what we think is, is the gospel, if you go in other directions for things, that's fine. Uh, and, and we could have discussions uh, from the scriptures about why we might think a, a certain thing uh, rather than what, for example, somebody was uh, was teaching us in this in Sunday school. And there was a uh, that that gave us a lot of intellectual freedom. And, and I yeah. had not appreciated how important that was. Yeah. Uh, I also hadn't appreciated how important it was that my dad, when I was at Grove City, uh, encouraged me to study philosophy because at the time I thought I might go into pastoral ministry. And he's like, well, if you become a pastor. You'd, you'd serve your congregation well if you study philosophy. Mm. And he was thinking about people like, for example, C.S. Lewis. Uh, he, he appreciated some of Lewis's works. And he's like, yeah, I can see the philosophy over. So in part because of my, my dad's encouragement uh, and financial support, I was able to study philosophy. And, and at Wheaton, I teach uh, in the philosophy department. I teach classes in, uh, on race and political philosophy, uh, history of philosophy. 
uh, my dissertation. Uh, this is probably going to surprise some of your audience because um, I'm probably best known for some of my work now on critical race theory. But my dissertation was on Thomas Aquinas. Th- Thomas, the wow. dead Dominican, is my homeboy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but this will bring me to the last thing, and that is, sure. given the kinds of familial experiences that I've had, uh, poor family members, more wealthy family members, mm. racialized white family members, non-racialized white family members, some people don't speak any English. Some people only speak English. Mm. Some people are proud of their indigenous heritage. Some people don't want to ever talk about the indigenous. In fact, only want to talk about them when they're talking about how they've inflicted settler colonial pain on the indigenous. It's a full spectrum, which has meant that I've had to, in addition to enjoy some of, for example, the privileges of of the intellectual freedom my parents gave me, I've had to navigate so many different communities, so many different modes of life, so many different perspectives, uh, which which means for me, I'm keenly aware that neighbor love involves entering into the perspectives and the practices of others. And it takes a lot of time. And it's one reason I studied Aquinas because I was impressed with how Aquinas was able to take so many discordant voices and offer the church what he thought was a good way of doing philosophy, a a good way of doing theology, a good way of, in his mind, moving towards God, getting into higher and higher levels of godliness. Um, And so, yes, when when I've studied things like uh, critical race theory, if you look at some of my approaches, they're very different than what you might find in, say, most evangelical settings. Right. Part of it's because I say, look, I, I know what it is to try to listen to Mama, and I know what it is to try to listen to Abuela. So how do I make sure I'm hearing Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Gene Stefanik? Uh, and, and I want to give my neighbors their due. This is what it's been to, to be in, in Spanish, we call mestizaje or mestizo, to be in these mixed spaces mm. uh, where you don't just have a kind of pure racial identity. No, it's, 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 it's muy complicado. It's very complicated. Yeah. And you're trying to walk the spirit within it. So that's a little bit of the background. I'm happy to pause and, and field any additional questions you might have. Great. Um, I just want to comment on, on two things you, you mentioned. Number one, regarding the diversity of New Jersey, uh, but we'll bring it back to there for a second. I totally yeah. agree. In fact, I'm, 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 I'm part Italian. So food's a big deal. Right. Oh, and, yeah. and when, um, when I started, when I traveled out West to Rockford, Rockford, Illinois, it was one of the wake up calls of like, wait, pizza isn't good everywhere. Wait, you know, the, every, everywhere here is a chain. There's no mom and pop shop for whatever kind of yes. food. And I tell people a lot of times, I say, in New Jersey, while maybe you can't get the best of everything, you can certainly mm-hmm. get good of almost anything, right? Whoa, so do truth. we have the best Tex-Mex? No, absolutely not. But is it adequate and good? Yes, it is. Yes. And I do stand by we have the best pizza. That I, I will plant oh, a flag on. <laughs> I tell you, brother, I, I do miss that <laughs> legit New York-style pizza. Oh, <laughs> I, I enjoy the deep dish. It's okay, but there are also times you don't want something quite that heavy. Right. right? It's like it's 10 pounds of pizza. A slice of cake you know, over <laughs> your pizza. Right. That's right. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is the reason the reason I found you is because my friend, uh, now Dr. Paul Guttaker from Baylor yeah. University, he recommended yeah. me to you. He, he was We grew up together. We were actually neighbors in, in, in New Jersey. Uh, and yes. we, we go back a long, long – I mean, he was in you, – you, if you ever talked to him, ask him about his band U-Turn that he was in, his first rock band with me. We were like 12 okay. years old, you know, so, oh, so yes. I knew Paul and I, when I was kind of, you know, I've been, of course, on my own journey of, of trying to think mm-hmm. differently as, a, as someone who's inherited a very white evangelical kind of space. And I was homeschooled for nine years in New Jersey. Mm. I was part of that conservative, you know, mm-hmm. bent in, in Southern New Jersey. And I said yeah. to my buddy, Paul, maybe a year ago, hey, you got anyone I can, you can recommend on like critical race theory from maybe like someone who identifies as a Christian, but can really speak to it. And he goes, yeah, check out Nathan. And that's how I found you. Mm. So, so, so thanks. Thanks to my, my, my buddy, Paul for doing that. Um, yes. You know, I, I think one of the questions I want to start with is you mentioned 
mentioned how you've been in all these different modes of experience and all of these yeah. like, you know, maybe modes of intersectionality. I don't know if that's even the right terminology, but you know, my question starting off is how has, has navigating those modes shaped you to who you are now? Like, like what, what are some of the big takeaways that, that, that maybe were uncomfortable and comfortable for you? Yeah. One of the, I'll try to mention, I'll stick to three. Okay. One of them is, uh, I'm grateful my dad stressed at a very young age the sinfulness of human beings and human structures. Mm. And one of the reasons I say that is because my dad, for the most part, was trying to caution. He said, be careful about falling in, in, in love with any person, place, structure, et cetera. He said, because it's all sinful. He's got some strong Augustinian impulses. And he's like, you're going to be set up for failure and disillusionment. And, and I'm grateful he did that. But but one of the reasons I, might, I mentioned that, too, is because that actually helped me to relate better to my family members, because there are things that I see on my mom's Anglo side of the family that are deplorable. I, there are people that tried to get my parents a divorce because they thought my dad had to be African-American somehow, some way because of the size of his lips, the size of his nose. And they're like, look, we know that whites and blacks shouldn't be getting married. And he clearly has some black blood. So don't you think that Renee in Orlando and mom and dad need to get divorced? I, I vividly remember my mama calling me into a room she was staying. She and my, my grandpa were staying with us. And she calls me in and starts asking me questions about whether or not I think that God has called the races to be segregated. Now, at this point, she's concerned about the sheer number of black friends that I have. She's not. But what she's also doing at that point then is trying to suppress the truth that this grandson that she loves is not an Anglo. She's not really thinking about that. She's trying to move me into to modes of whiteness and try to distance me from African-Americans. So, so I could see that. And be, again, because of my dad's in particular, my mom was certainly on board with this too, but, but my dad would, would emphasize this probably about once a month. <laughs> I got to say, okay, I love Mama. I know Mama loves me, but how in the world am I going to recognize, how do I reckon with these, not just s sinful actions, but dispositions, ways of seeing, inability to enter into my life because of commitments to white supremacy, which at the time I, I, I didn't have the language for that, but that's part sure. of what was going on. Sure. But there are similar problems going on on, on, on the, on the um, Puerto Rican side of my family. So white supremacy has ravaged the whole globe. White supremacy has shaped all the European colonial projects, which means it shapes a place like Puerto Rico, which is the, the outworkings of Spanish colonialism. Um, and so you, of course, have anti-indigeneity, you have anti-blackness. Uh, and for most part in, in Puerto Rico, most people will be more willing to endorse their indigenous heritage than they will their black heritage. They don't want to talk about being African at all. The moment you say, do we have any Africanos in the family? No, no. They get quite angry huh. with you. But in New Jersey, if you're Puerto Rican, one of the common things that will happen is you get racialized black. And this is for historically contingent reasons. But the ways in which Puerto Ricans and African-Americans are often put into similar kinds of ghetto spaces, mm. uh, they end up growing in pretty strong levels of solidarity. And um, it was quite common for me going all the way from kindergarten till I graduated uh, 12th grade in public school system for people to racialize me as black. And I thought it was weird in the beginning, but then I end up embracing it. Uh, and though, of course, my mom's side of the family is not pleased that I'm embracing <laughs> this racialized identity of being black. My dad's side of the family, they were completely opposed to it. They're like, what in the world are you talking about? Because in Spanish, one of the things you hear is mejorar uh, la raza. So they, there's the idea about improving the race, racially improving the race, which means whitening it. And so they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa this is not what, and I'm, I'm being blunt, this is not what we've been up to for generations. We, we, we weren't trying to mejorar la raza so that you come around and call yourself racialized black. So it's like, wait, what in the world? And they were also 
an unwillingness to reckon with the heinous imperial colonial history of Puerto Rico. And I was like, what is going on? And at times there's an elevation of the U.S. as this godlike country, you know, as if it was God's chosen people. And I'm like, yeah. what is this? Because right. that's certainly not true. And all we have to do is look at our histories. See, no, that's not true. So again, uh, I, I had to I had to come to grips with the fact that I'm going to be engaging family members that I love that are going to have a lot of things to teach me. However, there's going to be some heinous sin. And it's I want to stress, it's not just about the individual here. Of mm. course, it's about individual actions and individuals, but I had to broaden my, my horizons. Let's get to the second thing. So not only as I'm navigating these different communities, am I, am I having to think about beauty, and, and, and evil in different ways than many do. Hmm. But now I'm having to think about generational patterns. Now I'm having to think about structures and communities. I have to think about how, for example, the same court that, that affirms Jim and Jane Crow in the United States and Plessy versus Ferguson affirms what end up being these racialized colonial exploitive laws known as the in the insular cases that make it so that Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States and is hmm. constantly exploited. And so the, the goal for these justices was to keep white people in an elevated state to maintain certain levels of privilege and, of course, for, for in the mainland, keep African-Americans outside of certain white spaces. And then as they're thinking about Puerto Rico, keep this non-white island, because they're thinking about all these um, uh, Puerto Ricanos as non-whites, keep them out. So, there, you know, there, there's no citizenship, for example, until 1917. And then even that, it's it's like, well, you can get all the privileges of citizenship if you move to the mainland and you're not staying there. Right. So I had to ask questions like, well, what about the pastors? What about the priests? What about the seminaries? What about the schools? What about the family practices? How did all of these things contribute to my family members having some things that I want to celebrate and that I want to inherit and other things that I'm like, good Lord, we need to put this thing to bed and make sure it never gets passed down any further in the generations. So I I had to, and it took some time, brother, it really did, but I had to get past the kind of hyper-individualism that's very common in the United States and ask hard questions about what we inherit and what we don't inherit. And then, and then I'll say, the final thing um, is that I, I had to learn to walk with the spirit more. And this mm. is something I, I bluntly don't hear a whole lot unless I'm with, uh, typically it's like Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Mm. Uh, but there are some who, as much as they want to talk about being theists, they really have what uh, John Sobrino calls a Christological deism. Mm. It's like Jesus over there somewhere. Yeah. But we're not really expecting Jesus to be present, certainly not with the least of these, Matthew 25, nor are we expecting Christ to be present through the power of the Spirit in everyday actions and and in promptings and pushings and and so forth. It's one of the reasons I also like Thomas, to be honest. He he has a high view of the Spirit's agency in the world and is constantly calling people to recognize the limits of moral formation apart from the Spirit's work. But but I would pray and and ask, like, Lord, help me understand what are the things that Mamaw's teaching and, and passing on that I should embrace? And what are the things that I need to turn aside? And what about what's going on with Abuela and Abuela? And then how do I navigate these new spaces? Because part of what it is to be uh, mixed racially and mixed culturally is to, to, in, to inhabit what's known as a hybrid space. You can't just cling to a pure this or a pure that. No, that, that's, that's not it anymore. Mm. And so you're trying to walk with the spirit in this new space that you're in. And, and I'm not so much talking about like new creation in terms of redemption, but my, there's, 
my life is importantly different than either my parents, than either sets of grandparents. And, and it's not just because of generational differences. None of them were racialized in the ways that I've been racialized. None of them had the kinds of class experiences that I've had. Um, none of them have had people infatuated with their sexuality in the ways that, that I've had, or for example, my, my, my siblings have had. So yeah, there's been a tremendous um, uh, need to learn how to navigate life with the spirit. And so one of the, one of the reasons, and I'll stop in just a moment, but one of the reasons I, st I stress this is because yes, I have a high view of the scriptures, certainly. But one of the things that I, I that I find is in uh, certain evangelical spaces, there's not much of a, a true sense that you can walk and live with God on the daily, as we'd say in New Jersey. And that God is through the spirit working justice, mercy, love, and for me, decolonial realities, that the spirit is actually liberating us from some of these structures and generational patterns that I've been talking about, uh, doesn't call us to ignore the evils and the, and the things that would be so painful to look at, but says, no, 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 we're going to work through this. These are things that Christ has purchased liberation from. These are sins that are going to be broken. But the breaking of them is, it's a challenge. And so there are times where I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, Lord. And the spirit gives me comfort. And then there are times the spirit just kicks me right in the tookies and says, you need to keep going. Mm. Uh, so those those are some th three interlocking dynamics uh, that are be important for your audience as they're trying to figure out what in the world is this this Latino talking about? <laughs> I love all that. I, I Let's hone in on part on point three for just a few minutes here, because sure. obviously you're on a podcast called The New Evangelicals. You're dealing with an audience who is mainly white and also in in some way what they would call deconstructing or rethinking their faith, right? Yeah. And a lot of people have come out of charismatic circles and are really scarred by a lot of the language that you just used. Even yeah. though you probably, in you not probably, you do mean it in a very different way than how maybe I was taught, right? So for example, as yeah. a drummer in these worship spaces, professionally for a lot of years, right? The spirit oh, yeah. moved when my toms really built up and the cymbal swelled in and, and the chorus hit, right? <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, was yeah. taught to walk with God daily. And what that meant was... You should read your Bible every day, even if you don't understand it. You should you should hear a voice in your head telling you every micro move to make, and that's walking yeah. with the Spirit, right? And then as we start rethinking all of this, we're like, okay, and, and, and as Pete, Pete Enns would say, it's so disorienting. We're just, what is up? What is yeah, down? Yeah. Then we hear people use language again, right? And we're like, okay, I know that this is not what Nathan means, but this is the only way I've known it to mean. So for the sake yeah. of the audience, can you maybe spend just a few minutes unpacking that a little bit more? When you say walk with the spirit, like what does that look like for you at least? Yeah, this is a good question, brother. It, again, as we say in Spanish, it's complicado. So, so first, <laughs> let me say, both sides of the family have uh, some Pentecostal leanings, both sides. Uh, and that actually was a helpful point of contact. And so they, they would also both emphasize the spirit. But they would stress this. Uh, the vision that you gave, one of the things to highlight is how limited, frankly, still the role of the spirit is understood to be. Hmm. So like this, even the spirit's agency in, in worship, like, yeah. okay, when you're playing the drums and you get to a certain place and you might feel a certain level of ecstasy. Yeah. So so I, my point is not to say the spirit doesn't at, at times bring to certain levels of ecstasy. No, no, no doubt about it. But but my both of my family members would say, but do you believe that the spirit is in the reading of the word, mm. for example? Not just the preaching, but like the act that the spirit of God ministers to the people of God just through the reading of the word. So they they would encourage us to have certain expectations. 
just by hearing the word of God, the spirit can minister to you, right? Mm-hmm. So now, this, now that still can be quite lo- logocentric. I get it. But but that's an important, for some, that's going to be an important shift because we're like, wait a second. I've only thought about the spirit in a certain kind of musical orientation. That's right. To, get to, to your example, right? Yeah. But I haven't really thought about the spirit in terms of ministering to me. And again, I want to stress through somebody else reading me the word, not me sitting down with my NIV, ESV, whatever it's going to be, jotting it up. No, 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 no. Right. Mm. And in fact, one of the things they're going to say is, and I, this is one of the reasons I, lo- I love those. I love Mama Abuela so much. They're going to talk about how the spirit is always pushing us into community. Mm. In Spanish, we talk about in comunidad, right? The spirit is, is, is cultivating us into the body of Christ. Mm. So as the spirit gives us gifts, they're gifts, yes, in, in some sense for us, but also for the whole of the church and for our neighbors that are even outside of the church, to use that language. Yeah. And, and, and the spirit is convicting us of sin. And that I want to stress that sin is not just individual. Yeah. That sin's also going to be corporate. That sin's going to be familial. That sin's going to be generational. But it's a conviction of sin that, and my my abuelo and my and my abuela and my mama always stress this. And, and here you're hearing me talk uh, in terms of if you if you especially focus hear me focusing on mama and abuela, that's in part because I was trained in what's uh, what's known as abuelita theology. Okay. So uh, often your 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 grandmother to use that for, for our audience uh, in, in, in uh, Spanish circles is going to have uh, in Latino and Latina circles going to have quite a big influence on your spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they would, they would stress. It's always about repentance. See, this is another big difference. What is it to know that the spirit can convict you and then liberate you by bringing you to Christ. And it's not by bringing you to Christ. So that now you can just, Oh, Christ died for this. Since I'm just not thinking about it anymore. Mm. But what is it now to walk with the spirit? Who's kind of steadily saying, no, these are individual communal generational sins, but Christ has died and atoned for those. Christ is liberating from those now walk with me in newness. Yeah. Right. So, so, to put it another way, part of what it is to walk with the spirits in is to be putting off the old and putting on the new. Yes. But you never, I want to stress this, it's never done individually. It's mm. always done in comunidad, in community. Mm. And I want to stress this. My mama and my abuela always, always emphasize the church is never just your particular congregation or parish. The church is the whole of the people of God. So one of the joys that came was being multiracialized, multicultural people from, you know, not the mainland, we could say, is I had a vision of the church from a very young age as this global reality. Mm. And so they would also, my mama and, and, and Abuela would stress, like, part of what it is to walk with the Spirit is to recognize that the Spirit is empowering people, for example, in Peru, to be teachers and preachers for the church. And insofar as they're able, ask, like, how could you learn from those sisters and brothers? Right. So part of what it is to walk with the spirit then is to realize we're going to have to undo some of the very hyper individualistic conceptions of the spirit, because that's not what the spirit's all about. Again, think about the book of Acts. Is the spirit dealing with individuals? Of course. What is the spirit doing? It's bringing peoples who don't want to be together, that are under imperial, you know, under the imperial boot into a kingdom of God. Right. It's the undoing of Tower of Babel, right? Yes, exactly (laughs) right. And and I want to stress, talk about decolonialism. Mm. Think about about who Peter, for example, at Pentecost, some of the first people he's preaching to. Some of these are the sold out folks that are working with the colonizer. Mm. Mm. You put Jesus to death. Look at the ways that you've been working. But guess what? God is still for you in certain senses. You can repent. You can come and participate in this decolonial reality. And that's part of also the, the sharing that's going on there, right? This yeah. is this is the spirit saying, we're going to be something brand new, and I'm going to be cultivating 
community, but it's not, again, I want to stress this. I mean, how many people say part of what it is to walk with the spirit is to be looking out for those that are in need, those that are destitute, and to be giving some of your resources to them and also receiving from them, right? There's also, there's always mutuality. It's never, you're the savior that's going to just be going and caring for them. And to stress it, over the long haul, if you think about the establishment of the diaconate, you have, for example, Hellenistic widows, they rely on the church for food every single day. Hmm. Right? This is this is miles away from the Anglo ideas in the United States about, no, you just got to take care of yourself. It's all about bootstrapping. What would it mean to be in that kind of community? And notice the way that Luke lays out Acts, it's actually the spirit that is mobilizing the, the Hellenists to, def- to, to come and, and, and amplify the voices of those Hellenistic widows. And it's the spirit that's going to be empowering the apostles to say, you know what, now we're actually going to restructure power dynamics. We're going to alter things so that we're going to have a diaconate. And all the original deacons, they're all Hellenists. This is one of the things that Luke is telling us with their names, right? So again, you see all kinds of decolonial work here because mm. you had non-Hellenist uh, Jews not really getting along with the, the with the Hellenistic Jews. Okay, right. these, these sorts of divisions are breaking down, but it's not a call to ignore that they're Hellenists and you're not. Mm. It's a call to learn how to live together. And this is the spirit pulling you together, mm. right? That's that's part of what it is to walk with the, with, with the spirit. So, uh, you know, these are just examples of the kinds of things for the audience to consider. Yeah. But, but, but the last thing I'll say is this. Sure. Um, the spirit is calling, is pushing all of us into growth and godliness. And one of the reasons I'm highlighting that is the more for all of us, that we get a, an understanding of what it is to be godly, what it is to be just, to be merciful, to be generous, to, ho- to be hospitable, the more we realize just how radical the Spirit's work is and how outrageously limited, even some of those who claim to be with the Spirit, how, how outrageously limited their ideas of the Spirit are, right? Like They're not saying the Spirit yes. is going to convict you and enable you to see Christ in a homeless person. Right. But that's precisely the sort of thing that Jesus is saying in Matthew, in Matthew 25. Right. Right. I, 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 first off, let me just say, I love winding you up and letting you go. It's great. I can listen, I can listen to you talk forever. You're full of wisdom. Um, I, I want to riff off of this idea for a minute. So as of this recording, uh, this past week, um, there was the Passion 2022 conference. I'm sure you've heard yeah. about it. You know, 60,000 plus, mainly evangelicals, gathered in a, in a megadome uh, in the middle of, of a huge COVID spike in Atlanta, Georgia. Hospitals yeah. are, are at 82% capacity for ICUs, et cetera. And, you know, I, I, I critiqued it pretty hard. I, I did a video and, and it, it, it did its thing on TikTok and on Instagram, you know, and people responded. Yeah. And, and one of the, the things, that that really, as I was sitting and, and just kind of like thinking, okay, Tim, what are you trying to critique? Like, what is the critique here? Because mm-hmm. obviously, meeting in mass gather in big gatherings is not inherently bad. The, having these yeah. worship moments are not inherently bad. But what it, it, it's it's the idea of how tone deaf. Right, the situation is when you have evangelicals who think that the spirit is meeting them as they worship in an emotionally charged environment, while the poor outside, yeah, right, yeah. Are, are 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 highest at risk. So I think yep. this ties a lot into what you're talking about, and maybe you're putting language to what I've been, what I've been trying to think about and, and trying to find words for. Of well, if we believe that the spirit is active and alive, right, and that Jesus in Luke, yep. when he says he's come to give liberation, you know, uh, to the oppressed mm-hmm. and goodies to the poor, and we are charged to be the reflection of that, the physical embodiment of that here and now, that should drive how we love our neighbor before yeah. it drives how we build our mega anything, our mega worship oh, event, yeah. our mega church gathering. And so I think that 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 this highlights a good difference of how maybe 
I was taught to see the spirit. Oh, the spirit is in this large gathering that that is a worshiply uh, worship charged environment. Versus, well, maybe actually the spirit is trying to draw us to to seeing Christ in the least of these. And how do we minister to Christ that way? Am I kind of on yeah. the on, on the right path here? Yeah, there's a whole lot that's going on in here, brother. I, I, I'm grateful that you bring up this example. Oh, the, the, again, there's so much to think about in this example. I know, I know. Um, a lot. But like, I'm, I'll, let me say one thing. One of the things that is dangerous that comes with evangelical circles is the idea that the only time you're really going to encounter the Spirit is either in personal devotions or in in a gathering where a spirit anointed, and even if people don't put it that way, they were thinking like a really good preacher or pastor sure. is bringing the word. Yeah. And yeah. this is part of what I mean. And this is exactly what John Sobrino means by Christological deism. Hmm. There's such a, a whittling down of the presence of Christ in Christ's creation. Hmm. And there's not much attention to how the spirit is present. And I want to stress in the lived experiences of orphans, widows, refugees, the imprisoned, the ill, right? No. And in fact, I want to, I want to highlight Jesus is, is so blunt in Matthew 25. Like insofar as you care for them, you care for whom? And this one for me. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I want to stress like when he's talking about the sheep and the goats, the, the, the goats are like, well, we've been doing some good things, but like, where were you Jesus? And this is one of the most brutal realities I've had mm. to come to grips with. Mm. So many people who talk about a Christian worldview don't ever see Christianly. Mm. They, they have not seen Christ when they have heard a sister or brother in severe pain. Mm. And in fact, they're typically discipled into modes of seeing and thinking that encourage victim blaming. Yes. Yes. Just get up and move. You know, the reason you don't have a job is because you're just not trying hard enough. The reason that 43.5% of Puerto Ricans are poor is just because that's a lazy race, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Yes. So they're, they're not, they're not, they're, I want to highlight this. They're not trained into godly mercy, mm. godly practices of compassion. They're instead trained into not only hyper-individualistic ways of seeing, yes. but into progressive myths that are part of the U.S. empire. Yes. They keep you from seeing yes. the poor as people you should be going and caring for. Instead, you're like, ah, I'm sure that they're poor because they're not working hard. Anybody that wants to get a job and get a job. No. Right. Or, or <laughs> may I also add, not just no, feeding them a meal, but looking at the systems Lord. that keep them poor. Right, because I think Correct. a lot of a lot of I hear a lot of evangelicals say, "Well, you don't know my heart. Maybe I do feed the poor." And what I'm starting yeah. to realize more and more, I'm still early on in my journey. Yeah. Don't don't misunderstand. But it's like, well, but that's not addressing the system that is keeping them in that position. While yeah. while, while while a certain people group or corporate group profits off of that, right? And 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 that's yep. what we're going like the level two here, right? Like, okay, feeding the poor is good, but are we going to start talking about the systems that keep people poor unnecessarily? Yeah. Now that's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Let's get into this a little bit more, brother. This is so important. All right. One of the most significant things you see that's going on in the Mosaic Covenant. Follow me, brother. This is good. This is good. Let's go. Is the counter to the empire of Egypt. So there are all sorts of laws and practices set up. 
that are going to say, God is not like the God of Egypt and not like Pharaoh. Pharaoh's having you work all these extra days. Pharaoh's giving you saying, I want bricks without straw, et cetera. What do you get with the Lord? No, no, enter into a Sabbath rest, for example. But notice how often when God calls the people of God to care for, for example, the sojourners, for widows and orphans, what do you get connected to? Care for the sojourners and orphans, care for the sojourners, the orphans, the widows. Why? Because you were enslaved in Egypt and I, the Lord your God, brought you out. Now, notice there's a connection then to liber- from liberation from serious and it's economic, it's, it's social, it's political, it's religious oppression to now this is putting on the new. Yeah. New ways of engaging people. But I want to stress it's coming by way of law because the law gets to what? The structures. Mm. You see, there's a way of reading the, the, the Decalogue, for example, that makes it so it's just hyper individualistic. It's just about me. Yeah. And am I following these commandments? No, 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 no. This is a decalogue given to a people, and it's supposed to structure their ways of being. Yeah. And this is very important. You'll get all sorts of connections between what you get in the Mosaic Covenant and what you got in, in the openings of Genesis 1, for example, Genesis 2, all sorts of stuff pre-fall, right? But right. here's one of the reasons why. Because the decalogue, though, it's, you know, it's certainly not the last, it's not, sorry, the Mosaic Covenant, it's not supposed to be the final word from the Lord. Right. But it is an instrument that is bringing shalom into the world. And, and it's hard to really convey what shalom is because it's more than just like most of the ideas about peace that we have. Right. It's to put it another way, full-blown harmony. Hmm. And I want to stress that. Notice the Mosaic covenant doesn't just say, here's how you care for orphans and widows. It does. But it also says, here's how you're to relate to the land. Woo! <laughs> right? yeah. The land. Yeah. Yeah. Here's how you're to relate to the land. And of course, it's connected to all these echoes of God as creator God. But here's one of the reasons I'm stressing that. Because now, if you go into the to the New Testament, what's one of the things the Spirit doing? Not just altering in decolonial ways like we talked about with Acts, but actually bringing in shalom. Because part of what you're getting, and, and many readers will miss this. We go to John, for example, kicking out of Acts, going into John. Mm. When Jesus says, peace be with you, my peace I give to you. It's actually a profound decolonial moment in the text, because the main phrase you'd hear in the Roman Empire is Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Mm. But this is the Pax Christi, the peace of Christ. Mm. This is the Pax Christi that's connected to the Mosaic Covenant. This is what it is to have one that's greater than Moses bringing in shalom. So the spirit, I'm, I'm stressing this, the spirit is bringing in shalom. Shalom is about, and, and Randy Woodley, who's um, mm. an indigenous brother, he's quite good on this. The spirit is bringing in shalom, which is about harmony with the whole of the created order. Mm. So this gets to your point then about just thinking about a big conference. Now you have to ask if the spirit is promoting shalom, we're not saying you shouldn't be listening to people preach the word. We're not saying that there should never be gathered to correct. But now what we're asking is how could we be promoting harmony and well-being for the whole of creation when we have these crazy COVID spikes? Right. 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 And, and what I'm trying to get is look at how, and this is why this work is so hard and why so often Twitter is just not a good media yeah, for yeah. these kind of dialogues. Yeah. Because it, it, when you understand that people are holding a certain theology, yes. And that it's going to take a lot of time to say, okay, hold on, let's go to the same scriptures and let me help, help to open things up so you could see a little bit more than what you're seeing. 
Like there's just not the space to do that on Twitter. <laughs> and it's, it's very hard to do that. Even, you know, I, you know, praise the Lord, brother, that you're trying to use your, your, your podcast to, to open people's minds to the good work that the Lord is doing. But as you know, I mean, it takes time. And some people sometimes are like, man, I thought I said that pretty clearly. But right. Apparently, like nobody's seen me. Believe me, this part of it is to, to, to have both a mamma and a whaler. You're like, OK, let's take let's attempt number five. Well, <laughs> gonna, well part of the reason this. is, like you said, that I kind of in my head, I view it like, OK, if we're here, there's so many layers down that we're oh, coming yes. from that, 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 that we're on a different page on with some people. Oh, yes. Right. That you have to go. You, you can't start with the topic. You have to go what's underneath no. that topic. Right. And yeah. one of those is the individualistic mindset that we read the Bible through. How yeah. how modern mainly white evangelicals in America read the Bible is is quite radical, honestly, for oh, yes. in the grand scheme of, of Christian history. But many yep. of them are convinced that this is God's word, aka the absolute truth, right? I know. So so I know. so when you start talking, especially in the words of decolonization, liberation, oppression, unfortunately, yep. right, <laughs> yep. they don't have any category because their minds never been has not been built to see the Bible that way. And no. what happens? Instead, they hear you using modern political terms, right? That, right. have, that have already have certain baggage attached to them, especially if you're a white evangelical, considering that most white evangelicals are conservative politically. You know, they voted oh, for yeah. Trump in 2016, oh, yeah. 2020, and yep. even, even before that, Bush, the whole nine. You know, oh, so yeah. so when you start using that language, the red flags in their head start going off, despite how maybe biblically orthodox, for lack of a better term, you can sure, no. you, 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 you can make those terms, right? Yep. And that yeah. is the challenge, I believe, it in twenty twenty first America. And I get that I get that kind of heat as a white man, the most privileged kind, right? <laughs> to live in America. I get the pushback. Yeah. I can only imagine the kind of pushback that you might get or some other friends oh, yeah. of mine who are women of color, they definitely get. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. And, and I, I want to stress this too. It's so important to ask when you're teaching. So I agree with Thomas Aquinas here. He says that teaching is an act of mercy. Mm. But, but you know what I see, especially in the Twitter spheres? Yeah. Very little love, brother. Very little love. Yeah. Yeah. Very little mercy. Very little entering into the sufferings of others. And, and, and I don't just mean, for example, now, if somebody has just had an amputation and you're going, my goodness, how can we help you to try to adjust how you're going to live? Because it's going to be brutal. Like, okay, yes, that's still entering somebody's suffering. That's right. But, but I know what it is to, to look at Mamma and know, I got the tissues just in case, All right. to know that she, she is suffering from generations of white supremacy. Mm. She has vices in her that people have cultivated for decades. And even if she doesn't realize that these things are evil and that she's suffering from them, I do. Mm. So now the question is, do I love Mama enough to help her out of these evils? Now, let me be honest. Part of walking with the spirit is it's going to require recognizing there are times where the spirit says, no. Mm. Think about Paul and Acts wanting to go to preach the gospel in a certain city. And what happens? The spirit of God says no on to another town. Mm. Also, the spirit of God is going to call us to recall the words of Christ. There are times where you have to dust off your feet. There are times you don't give what is precious and holy to dogs or to swine. You think about Proverbs. You can't always answer a fool according to the fool's yeah. folly because that fool will look wise in the fool's own eyes. So part of what it is to walk with the spirit is to be prayerfully discerning in community. But also, of course, there are going to be times where you're just by your lonesome. Like, How do I engage this person here? And, and is this the right time to say this? Or no, yeah. not, not that. But when I was entering in those kinds of merciful efforts towards mama, yeah. I'm also thinking about Awela, right? What, what is it to be colonized and to try to still have a vision of yourself where you see yourself as, as lovely when you have an 
accent, right? Everybody has an accent, but my abuela is keenly aware that the moment she speaks in English and there, and it's, I, I, you know, the ways that we talk, her English is very good, yeah. but you're going to hear like, oh, hold on. You're not from any of the contiguous states. Where are you from? Mm. Boom. Right now she's immediately other. She's going to be immediately put, uh, put on the margins and she's a sister to your point, right? She's a Latina. How in the world are you going to navigate? these historically white, historically male-dominated spaces. Yeah, right. And you're going to have that accent immediately because because the accent is not a British accent, for example, you're connected to a lack of intelligence. All that comes in. So when I engage with with, with Abuela, and I hear her, for example, take up certain anti-Black stances at times, Mm. I have to ask, okay, why would you have these visions of anti-Blackness? What are they connected to? And in particular, what loves and insecurities? Mm. Same thing with Mama, right? So one of the reasons I'm highlighting this is because for your audience, I want to stress this. The more you learn, the more you must resist being come, become puffed up with pride because you have knowledge. This is precisely what Paul talks about. You can have all the knowledge in the world and you can still be a damn clinging gong. Yeah. Can't be that. Right. That's the exact sort of thing the spirit is not cultivating. Right. But it's so hard, especially, and I want to put it this way, because you and I, Hermano, we, 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 we walk with limps, right? We were not handed what we should have been handed. Mm. We inherited all sorts of evils. And so there are times where we're going to be right to be filled with righteous indignation. And there are going to be times where we're going to be pounding the table and lifting our fists up to God saying, how in the world could it be that I was cultivated and discipled? This is key, discipled into these practices and patterns of abuse, oppression, exploitation. Lord, how is this possible? And then you keep seeing them and you see how people are rallying around them and supporting them. And you're rightly going to want to be angry. And there are going to be times the Lord is going to be like, preach that prophetic word against it. But there are also going to be times the Lord's going to say, you need to tend to these wounds. Mm. Because right now you are so wounded. Yeah. You can't offer up particular modes of love to others. And there you have to say, okay, how do I rely on the church to support me in my hour of need? Because I'm in it. Wait, we don't just give mercy. We receive mercy. I need somebody to come alongside me to give me that merciful shoulder to say, no, you can lean on me, brother. It's all right. I know we're going through it. Yeah. To your point, like it's hard to believe that 80 plus percent of white evangelicals are voting for Trump when they used to be the ones that talked about how much character really mattered. That's those days are long gone, long gone, long gone. Um, you know, I, I really feel <laughs> I might need tissues on my end because I feel like maybe the spirit's <laughs> ministering to me in this moment as you're as you're talking because you really um, were in my head while you were speaking because I do feel I think a lot of people in in my position um, who have grown up in these spaces do feel angry and feel betrayed and feel like you you. I, you indoctrinated me to think that yep. that that this way of being a Christian was the only and the right way of living out of any other way of living in the face of human human existence. Yeah. Yep. And as I and as I'm starting to read and learn, I'm realizing how wildly out of you know how crazy that was. Yes. And and I think a lot of people in these movements who are I, I listen. The, the term deconstruction is really wide. We we we're talking about, about people who want to be faithful to Jesus, but who are rethinking yep. their white evangelical heritage, right? So for those yep. people, we're I'm angry, right? And I do have to keep um, in check, and I don't do it well all the time, especially on Twitter because it's it's just hot takes all the time. But you know, I do have to keep in check. Like, okay, how much am I just yelling and being that gong, and how much are we trying to help and heal? And it's a really yeah. weird 
there, there's a wisdom there that I don't always have, right? And that I want to have, but we don't always have. And I think what, 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 what really makes this difficult, to be honest with you, Brother Nathan, for me personally and for so many people is that you know, their, their churches have really abandoned them. And I'm, I, that's part of my story as well. You know, when I started New Evangelicals, my church of six years said, Hey, we love you, but we can't have you leading worship on stage while saying these things on social media because they disagree with what the pastor's saying, you know, and it's, it's, you either pick or choose. And at the time we, I was getting so many messages on Instagram saying, thank you for this. This is helping me. This is saving my faith. I said, I I have to, I have to be here. I I can't leave the work that I'm doing, but, but make no mistake. I mean, my, that, circle of people, the people I'd spent six years of my life with and pushed into, 95% of them are gone. They've evaporated like a mist, as as, as yep. this author of Ecclesiastes would say. And so I think for a lot of people, like you said, we have a limp. It's a different limp. It's it's certainly not yep, not, yep. not 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 the limp of 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 being oppressed as as racial minority, right? But certainly it's a limp of oh, I thought I was in. I thought I had the truth. I thought I, thought I was part of this community, and now I'm yeah. not. And and now I'm learning how problematic and how really systems I, I've been complicit in have 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 contributed. Right to the colonization of the world and to our the mission the mission field quote unquote right and I'm like yeah. oh shit like what do I do yeah. with this honestly I that's what you. I think like, I hear how, you brother and I've been re- man trying to repent as much as I can but it's it's tough work bro <laughs> it really yeah is. brother it's it's so hard it's so hard it's there are times where I think about losers claims all of life is apprentice and I'm like damn brother I'm sure I, I think you barely understood what the truth of what you're saying but, now yeah. let's let's go a little bit deeper here sure I, so I want to make sure that. That I say this to your audience, especially since so many are going to be racialized white slash Anglos. And by yeah. the way, I say racialized white because, well, we can get into that another time. All right. But um, <laughs> I, I, one of the things I apparently need to highlight is by that I don't mean racist, right? That right. Don't racialize is how people are seeing you in terms of racial categories. Right. But um, I, I've noticed an unwillingness by many racialized white folks to sit in their own realities of abuse mm-hmm. and oppression. Mm-hmm. To recognize and not just give a lip service, recognize you were abused, you were mistreated, you were exploited, you were oppressed, you were mistaught for years. Mm. That is something to grieve. Part of what it is to be a faithful Christian, I'm thinking about Paul and Corinthians, is to weep with those who weep Mm. and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And sometimes what happens, I'm going to be blunt, is there's such there's such a protective mechanism that kicks in. Like we don't really want to see our own pains. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have to deal with how much we've been betrayed. Mm-hmm. But oh look, here are these racialized minorities. Here are these poor people. Here are these sisters. They're being oppressed. Okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and, mm-hmm. and, and amplify their voices. Now yeah. some of them are gonna try to speak for them. Okay, that's no good. Right. Amplify the voices is a better <laughs> a better way to do it. But then what's happened? Mm-hmm. You still keep suppressing the pain that's within, mm-hmm. not reckoning with how hard it is to have been betrayed like that. Yeah. And I want to stress that the spirit of Christ is a liberating healing spirit Mm. who's going to call us at times to sit in these pains with others and say, what is it to have been so maldiscipled for six years, 20 years, 30 years? And now we're getting something that's that's also very hard. And brother, I'm so on, I'm so grateful for your honesty and your vulnerability here. I mean, what is it to know that you're going to have to count the costs? Yeah. I mean, Christ told us this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and there's a there's a way that it happens, and even evangelicals speak like, oh yeah, you know, you, you you might be praying at the pole, and suddenly somebody tells you you can't pray anymore, <laughs> right. and then oh, you've counted the cost. Right. I mean, what is right. it right. to know that people that you've loved, because you're following Christ, 
You're going to have to say, I still love you. I still care for you, but we can't have the same relationships we had before because I got to follow Christ. Mm. And you are clinging to certain evils and you're not letting go. And there's no repentance here. And in fact, you have no ears to hear, hear no eyes to see. So I, I still love you. and I'm going to be praying for your well-being. I've not given up on you. Yeah. But we also can't have fellowship in the ways that we used to. Right. Those are hard things. And I stress this because one of the hardest things for my students is we sit for 15 weeks together in what I like to call the, the U.S. version of the book of Judges, working through U.S. racial history, thinking about all the forms of exploitation and oppression, the, the, the heinous forms of sexism and misogyny, the willingness to lynch and, and make it a big spectacle. And yeah, we'll all watch on a yeah, Saturday. Right. Yeah. Like you look at all this and my students go very much. I suspect like you, Hermano, given what some of what you shared, I'm like, how did I not know any of this? How, wait, what, what world have I been living in? Yes. And it's so hard for many reasons. One is because they're going through that, that important, but painful process of frankly, yeah. decolonizing the mind, getting unshackled, transforming the mind, putting on Christ. But now also to your point, the more they start to live into these realities, the harder it is to have certain modes of fellowship. Yeah. And it's especially painful when it's the people of God who are trying to suppress your quest for the, to, to, to walk with the spirit and the truth, yeah. to acknowledge what's happened. Yeah. So I want to give space for Anglo sisters and brothers, especially those who are coming from experiences like yours, Hermano Tim, to say like, okay, yes, I still need to be caring for other people. No doubt about it. But I need to be asking, how is the Lord calling me to sit with my pain and to be to, to either begin or to continue the healing process? And mm. please don't think that we racialize minorities and be like, look, you can keep your pains over there because we got enough. No, 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 no. You see, we're, we're, we're part of the people of God who want to enter the sufferings of others. We want to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And one of the nasty forms of a kind of white paternalism that I see comes up is when racialized white folks won't let us enter their sufferings. Because like, oh, but you already have too much. Now let me have enough agency to determine if I can help you. Don't you make the decision for me. Hold on, we're trying to live together. Mm. So I think that's, that's such an important thing, thing for, for our sisters and brothers to hear because it's going to... It's going to take a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, Nathan. I mean, I think it's, um, yeah, there, there's, I'll, I'll, I'll let the audience digest that. I'm not going to give any commentary on that. I, th I think that it's really well put. And uh, even on a personal level in, in this moment, as we record in real time, it's, uh, you know, it makes me emotional thinking about it. So I really appreciate you offering that space because, You're welcome, brother. like you said, you know, as I'm uh, doing my best to decolonize, it's still early on in the journey, but I'm just like, wow. I mean, what a matrix I was living in. And, 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 and what, <laughs> yes. what is this going to cost me? And then, yeah. and then realizing, um, you know, that, that there's a part of me that doesn't want to do that. I, mu I would much rather nope. maybe turn the blind eye and go back to my professional <laughs> music worship spaces on Sunday mornings yes. and, 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 yes. and, and kill it every Sunday and just live comfortably oh, and gosh. get, get a job and not do this work, barely make barely able to make ends meet. Right. Sometimes yep. and just go back into the workforce and, and, and enjoy capitalism, especially as a white man finding that well, privilege. I hear you, brother. <laughs> so there are definitely days where, you know, I'm like, you know, is the cost worth it? But then of course, you know, I, I read James Cone or I, I watch something by Dr. Cornell West, I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, this is the way forward. 
Um, yes. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. This is this conversation did not go at all how I planned, <laughs> but I think it was the conversation we needed to have. Mm. Um, mm. We, we were going to hit on some other things, and I think maybe we can say that for hopefully maybe in the future an, another episode. Sure, It'd be I'd great to, to have you again, on. Brother. Before mm-hmm. I let you go, we got about five ten minutes left. If you're okay with that, yeah. You know, I I, I want to kind of steer the ship real hard, real hard to the right. Sure. Um, I, I would like your, some of your thoughts and commentary on on the direction of the evangelical church in America, because on, from my end, again, I, I, part of my gift is that I've had my foot, well, feet, my whole body firmly in the yeah. white evangelical space in all different yeah. denominations, right, in all different ways. Um, yeah. And now I'm kind of coming out of it, and I'm realizing just how concerned I am for the the state of the church when it comes to what I call Christian nationalism. And what I'm talking about here is is the Charlie Kirks of the world, right? The Ben Shapiro's of the world, the Tucker Carlson's of the world really seem to be galvanizing what what maybe was more of a fringe or at least at least um at least internalized, right? Yes. Um ideology now becoming more and more public. Uh, as of this recording, we're 2 days before the 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 year anniversary of the insurrection, and yep. I'm really concerned because I'm seeing a lot of mega church pastors. People have a lot of influence. I think of yep. uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, for example, uh who who works with Charlie Kirk. He's part of Turning Point Faith. He, I'm not sure if you know this, but Jack Hibbs in 2021 released a 20-minute ode to George Washington that was pretty much borderline lost cause mythology, where he says, and I, I have this on, on, on my TikTok, you can see the video, yeah. he essentially says that that George Washington treated his slaves well, and that and that if, if you freed a slave in those days, you were certainly sentencing them to death, and slaves were able to have families, therefore it yeah. wasn't as bad as you think. I mean, these are pastors, yeah. right, who... Pastor mega churches, 7,000 people. Yep. You know, I'm sure you see this and probably, probably way more. What are, uh, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on this? How do we navigate this forward? How do we, how do we ask a, uh, this church to repent from this complicity yeah. and, and really um, colonization and supremacy culture? That's what yeah. it is. We have to call it what it is. <sighs> I know so, it's only, I, I know no, it's a loaded question. Is, is, <laughs> let, 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 let's go in. There's, there's several things I think we need to, to get on the table so that people can then consider them uh, over and over again. Okay. Here's the first. Um, as much as I love a lot of the historical work, brothers and sisters, I uh, think of, for example, that uh, Christian uh, Dumay has been mm-hmm. doing or uh, J. Russell Hawkins has been doing, uh, and Thea Butler's been doing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm concerned about their starting places. And here's what I mean. Mm. Barely, it's it's uncommon for them to go very far even into the 19th century. So it, it's uncommon for them to do much even like around the Civil War. It's kind of like, okay, here are a, a, a few things you might need to know and then boom, we're into the we're into the 20th century. Mm. And here's one of the reasons I'm highlighting that. Yeah. What we might think of as Christian nationalism. I want to take it a step further. Modes of Christian imperialism and Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm unfortunately, have been with us since Constantine. Mm. And here's one of the reasons it's so important to note that. When you understand that modes of Christianity have been designed so that they can fit within nationalistic imperial regimes, and they'll supplement it in varying ways, then you understand that one of the things that's likely to happen, because of how the faith is something that's passed on, is that things will serve as triggers that activate the nationalism 
the imperialism that has been so closely wed to, or has been wed to mm. modes of Christianity going all the way back to Constantine. So we're going all the way back to the third century. Yeah. I mentioned this as a son of Iberia. So the Spanish and the Portuguese see themselves as Christian countries going and spreading Christianity and civilization. And they slaughter my Taino ancestors mm. in Boriguan. And for them, in the name of Jesus, yeah, yeah, you have Portuguese sisters and brothers going to West Africa, North Africa, fighting, and what they're seeing is a holy war against the Muslims. And they're like, "Oh, well, we can now take all of these people that we found here and make them slaves because they are slaves of war, and that's supposed to be fine with just war theory." They're thinking, "You're getting the beginnings of the transatlantic slave trade." Mm. But notice what's connected to it. A vision of nationalism. We, the Portuguese, finally set up as a port. The nation of Portugal finally set up. We got the post blessing, and here we go. Yeah. yeah. Think about. I, I focus for the moment uh, with those two examples on countries that will, of course, eventually, not yet, but eventually, identify as Catholic, lower uh, capital C. Yeah. But look at the Reformation. Who provides Luther protection? Kings. Mm. See where I'm going with this? Mm. Right? Like there has been a certain, even if you get two kingdoms, the other one, you can play whatever sorts of games you want. But the connections to nationalism are real. Think about the ways in which the Puritans are talking. Yeah. City on the hill, we're going into Canaan, right? We're going to oust the indigenous peoples, et cetera, et cetera. So there are such a long history of Christian imperialism and Christian nationalism. And it shaped the United States. It shaped Puerto Rico. It shaped Mexico. It, it shaped all of Central and South America. Yeah. There's a point in time where Britain and France together have under their empires 84% of the entire globe. Mm. And both are identifying as Christian nations. Mm. Mm. So I'm saying this because, I mean, this is going to be rough, but this is, this is what it is to look at the truth. Right. Too many of us aren't getting a, we're not starting at the right places. Mm. We don't understand the extent of the injury. And so we're offering remedies that cannot provide sufficient healing. Mm. When you understand that it's going to be across denominations, that you understand, for example, like some are going to some are going to leave certain spaces, perhaps even like the, the ones you, you grew up in, Hermano, and they'll go, they'll, let's say they join the Anglican Communion. Sure. My point is not to take any jabs at the Anglicans, but instead to say, like, look, I, I can get why certain people are going to do that for points of liturgy, for points of tradition, et cetera. Like, but you also have to recognize that the Anglican Church played a key role in the British Empire, mm. especially given the connections of church and state there. They're not what they are in the United States. Right. And even when you have supposed separations of church and state, when when President McKinley is justifying the slaughter of the Philippines, uh, of Filipinos and Filipinas in the Philippines. He says, quote, we have to missionize the heathen. Mm. We have to Christianize them. Yeah. This is the beginning of the 20th century. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. That's Christian nationalism yeah. used to justify and legitimize genocide. Yeah. A genocide that was so heinous that even, even William James, who was no committed Christian, was like, oh my gosh, the United States is heinous. <laughs> mm. But again, I, I know this because for so many of us, we didn't get good church history. Right. And one of the things that's part of evangelicalism, 
is a historical approaches. This is one of the reasons why some of the attacks on CRT are as as successful as they are, because they're like, oh, let's just look at propositions and ideas and let's not look at history. Let's not let we don't need to worry about how anybody like Derek Bell developed his ideas. No, no, no. Is this claim true? Is that claim true? I mean, you only you'd never find Augustine talking that way, right, for example. Right. But but that that level of a historical sensibility that's connected to a hyper individualism that's certainly yes. put in service of the capitalistic society that we're yes. a part of, yes. right? It's all connected. Definitely. So there's not an encouragement to pay attention to those churches. And then to your point, like even if we're going to say the slightest thing about history, it's it's so often in service of maintaining the status quo. Where is the Old Testament sensibility? Hmm. This is something I tell my students. I say, you might ask, why are we talking so much about the evils in the United States? I said, let, let, let me ask you, how well does Israel come off in numbers? <laughs> how about this first and second samuel how about the chronicles kings mm. what do you think about judges does it look pretty good right how does genesis go even from the beginning is abraham looking great mm. or abram no how about jacob no you see where i'm going with this brother? Yeah. it's like why are why is there such an unwillingness to be like the old testament and taking stock of the evils yeah no 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 we have to talk about how we're so grand Huh? And even in the age, because someone was like, well, that was before the spirit was poured out. Have you read Acts? Right. H have you read the Pauline epistles? It's no bueno. Right, <laughs> it's right. a disaster. Right. And look at Revelation. It's like, we're going to get cycles of misery. By the way, cycles of misery connected to, if you pay close attention to the imagery of Revelation, because it's drawing on Daniel and Ezekiel, what? Mm. Empire. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you see the empires don't just disappear. Yes, sir. They're there until the end. Yes, sir. New modes of imperialism. But I'm stressing this because part of what you're getting in the, in the scriptures is a call to develop as a people of God in these evil systems, paying close attention to the evils of history, even amongst the people of God, and say, okay, we see what, we have, we, what we've been willing to do, what we continue to do. How do we now put on the new and take off the old? Yeah. And so I think of now, to your point, I'll try to wrap this up, as, as sisters and brothers are going to try to come to grips with the Christian nationalism, I, I, I implore you, don't just start at the beginning of the 20th century, mm. or don't just start with the rise of Reagan. Don't just start with the Southern strategy. Ask yourself, how could it be the political strategists trying to make the GOP, the Republican Party, the white man's party, how could it be that they knew to tap into white Christian nationalism? Right. Well, these are highly educated people. They know that these are things that have been in Christian communions for centuries, and you can activate them. And so, again, this is painful. This is going to. This is part of the decolonial process. It's part of what it is to be sanctified in a racialized world. We have to now take stock of our history and try to see what's good, right, true, and beautiful in that history, and look at what's evil and say, okay, how is that still haunting us? Yeah. And we cannot understand the present realities if we don't understand how much that racialized settler colonialism that was going all the way back to the Puritans that talks about how this is going to be God's country. We're going to yeah. oust the pagan, uh, you know, infidels. And, you know, you know what? We're not even sure if we can have African uh, enslaved persons become Christians because, right. uh oh, would they be fully free? Like right. all of that is part of our history that most right. people don't know. Right. No, you're totally and right. I, yeah. And I assure you, the folks at Breitbart, <laughs> they know it <laughs> and they know how to trigger a certain button to kick in all sorts of vicious habits that have been linking Christianity and empire for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, we could go forever. 
I would love to have you here for the next three hours. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> everything you said, I'm like, great. Let's unpack that. Let's unpack that. We 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 will definitely need to schedule around two um, because Not there's sure. so much there that you said. I I think. One of your gifts is that you're able to communicate things that I think for a lot of us are like, okay, we we, we see, as Paul would say, through like a dimly lit window, you know? And you're like, actually, yeah, let, yeah. Me, let me turn the brightness up a little bit. You're like, oh, okay. You know? And, and I think that's helpful for people who are thinking about this to start having some new things to start pondering. Let me ask you this before we, before we, we, we let you go. Any mm-hmm. recommendations on some lay-level books uh, that that kind of talk about this history in that way, like, hey, this is a great intro to this. What yeah. would you recommend for 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 some of us who maybe are not in academic circles? So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend three texts. They're very different, but I want to recommend them because they're so different. So okay. for some for some of your audience, they they need to start thinking with the majority world. They need to start thinking with sisters and brothers outside of a specific U.S. context, but they're going to be somewhat familiar with them. Okay. So I highly recommend. See Rene Padilla as an author, uh, and I can send you. Uh, Perfect. I can probably put it in the chat or something like that if you'd like, so you can have the name. But he has a great book. Just one second, let me make sure I get the title exactly right. No problem. Do the thing. Yeah, it's 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 a classic book called Mission Between the Times. I'm write this down. Mission Between the Times, and and Padilla is is uh, coming from Ecuador. Uh, he was born in, in, uh, in Ecuador, and then he ends up spending much of his life in, in Argentina. But he's an important contributor to um, global evangelical movements. And, and that book's going to be very important because much of what he has to say is to an Anglo-U.S. audience. Uh, it's not explicit. It's not solely for them, but he has a certain love for Babylon. We could put it that way. He's, he's, he's kind of the prophet Jonah. But mm. he's okay with God being merciful to the Ninevites. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> right? So he's going to bring prophetic fire, but he's also going to be helping you to walk through scriptures that are going to help you to see things a little bit different. So, so that's that's one thing. Okay. And the second thing is, especially um, since there has been such a resurgence in discussion about slavery, and, and, and frankly, it's just been all-out wonkiness, I want to highly recommend to your audience the book Slave Religion by Albert Rabateau. Slave Religion by Albert Rabateau. Um not that expensive. Uh, neither of those books are all that expensive. Uh, and they're one of the great things too about these books is they're actually really well designed to be read in community, mm. in community. So I highly recommend that. And then even though I had um, noted that I, I wish there was a different starting spot uh, in Kristen uh, Dumay's book, I highly recommend her book, Jesus and John oh, yeah. Wayne, yeah. Uh, because I think that that is going to resonate a lot with, uh, with members of your audience. But I want to say this. If you've already read Dumay's book, read those texts, mm. consider our conversation, and then return to Dumay's book. I like Notice, that. for example, that Dumay says almost nothing about our indigenous sisters and brothers. Did you know, for example, the Trail of Tears against the Cherokee is actually an egregious case of Christian persecution because most of the Cherokee are Christians? Mm. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Not discussed. Right. One of the most highly persecuted Christian communities in the globe, African-American Christians Mm. in the United States. Mm. No discussion about Latinos and Latinas. No discussion about the Christian imperialism that's part of the unjust wars against Mexico, part of the filibuster efforts to establish colonies in places like Nicaragua. It's all there. Mm. But, you know, and the part I get, I get the black, white binary operates in certain ways. And so I understand why in some ways it's going to be more present in a book like Jesus and John Wayne. But what I want to say is this, think about Oliver North. She mentions Oliver North. Mm. What's Oliver North connected to? The Contra stuff. Where is that in Latin America? Mm. 
You see where I'm going? So it'd be, it'd be your, your audience would do well to read those texts, consider our conversation, and then return to Domain and say, okay, how is it, my point is not so much to critique, but how do these points enhance yes. the text? Yeah. How do they help you to see things you might not have seen before? That's great. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did her book for a book club this past. We we do book clubs every every couple months, uh, and and for season two we did her book, and I, I've read it before. It it's uh, for someone who wants to understand at least a snapshot of, of how we got to some of here. It, it yep. does. It, it's very easy to read. So um, I, I'll add these books to the show notes. I'm gonna pick up these other two uh, myself. I just finished like the book that you recommended. Um, oh, the Bible yes. told them so. You know, by uh, J. Russell Hawkins. I have to get him on the show. Because yeah. my, I mean, I the whole thing is highlighted. I'm like highlight, <laughs> highlight, highlight. I couldn't stop. Um, so I anyway, um, listen, Nathan, I appreciate you spending a little extra time with me. I know we said an hour. You hung out for for longer. Thank you for that. Um, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Um, do, do you have any books out, out, out yourself? Yeah, so, so so no books out yet, but you can you can find some of my writings with groups like Sojourners or, or Faithfully. I, I do have a blog. Uh, it's it's my first and last name, no space dot, dot com. Uh, I haven't written anything in little while but, but but i plan to get back to it and then you can find me online uh at, at twitter it's at uh, uh at profi so p-r-o-f-e uh n-l-c so my initials nathan Luis cartagena uh and you can follow me there right um so yeah if, if you're i'll say one other thing for, for your audience um free. i would also strongly encourage your audience to to consider world outspoken if you want to understand uh latinx or latino a issues more. It's a group that I'm now a scholar of residence for, and I've been so impressed with the work that they're doing. They're doing it for the church. Of course, they, they have an eye, especially to Latino churches, but they're a multi-racialized group trying to care for the whole of the church. And so, especially for sisters and brothers who might want to know, Nathan talked some about like trying to inhabit a multi-racialized, multicultural space. What's that like? Yeah. They have a podcast called the Mestizo Podcast, which is all about what it is to live in what was sometimes called a hyphen. What is it to have these you know, very different family histories and how do you do justice to them? Mm. So I highly recommend that as a resource. It's aimed for, for lay people. You don't have to be highly educated. You don't have to be familiar with a whole lot of background information. Uh, but that would be a good way to enter into the lives of Latino sisters and brothers. Perfect. I love it. Nathan, thanks for coming on. I'm sure we're going to do it again. I appreciate your time. Sounds good. Blessing, brother. The crackling flame. The piercing heat. We were all born with a fire burning deep within our bellies. For me, Gustavus Swift, I turned my fire into the creation of Swift Foods back in 1855. For you, it might simply be to smoke a tastier rack of ribs than that blowhard Steve. Go on, find your spark. Swift Foods, inspiring extraordinary meals since 1855.